Well, hello and welcome to the Leaders Sport Business Podcast, Leaders on Location, Leaders Live at Twickenham for Leaders Week, the dying embers of Leaders Week. I'm David Cushnan. I have gathered together to uh, partners in crime for this end of show wrap-up. Delighted to have with us Stu Rosen. Stu or Stuart? Stu wasn't stupid. Okay. <laughs> From Lucky Socks Media, ex-BBC, and uh, Stu, it's great to have you with Thank us. You, great to be and here. Uh, the boss is here as well. It's Laura McQueen, Managing Director at Leaders. Laura. <laughs> Hello. How is your voice? How are you? I'm getting there, yeah. We were just saying, weren't we? We are sick of the sound of our own voices. I'm definitely sick of the sound of my own voice now. Yes, but... We're but gonna, it's been fantastic. We're going to talk just for a little bit longer to wrap up some of the key themes, the key things we saw and heard and felt about Leaders Week uh, this year as we're wrapping up we're talking to you at approaching five o'clock at the end of Thursday day two the final day of the summit here at Twickenham it's been a big old week Laura started way back on Monday which seems a lifetime ago at Google at, you Kings had to Cross. remind yourself that. yeah it was had to, at Google. had to remember which tech giant we were at uh, but we had our diversity forum Yes, we were at Google HQ. Shout out to Katya and Thomas at Google because we pulled it together for that venue pretty last minute, actually. But it was fantastic. I have to say, best ever NPS score we've ever had on an event, that event. Are we going to reveal what that is or are we going to keep that under wraps? We can reveal what that was. It was 83, which is fantastic for um, us. And And to be honest, all week people have been coming up to me saying... What a great set of speakers. It was a fantastic set of speakers. Obviously, Google HQ, food was fantastic. Hospitality was fantastic. Um, but the speakers, trying to think the highlights from my perspective, Eni Luco, I think she's always super impressive. Um, she was fantastic. Leon Mann talking about the representation of athletes and what they bring to the Premier League and that being represented off the field when it comes to ethnicity on the boards. Um, So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant and I've been hearing about it all week. So obviously went down well. There's always a different energy at diversity, our diversity events. And it's hard to sum, I haven't quite found the word, but it's it's a very positive, Mm. um, future-facing energy. And I think there's... uh, we positioned the the afternoon as very much the past, present and future of conversations around diversity and diversity in sport. But there was a real, there's something, I'm going to say a little bit of magic in the room when we get get that sort of really committed group of people together. It really is. And I think it's, it's I don't know whether hopeful is a bit too sort of, I don't know, cute of word, but I think it, it, they, they're just interesting people that are super energetic about the future of the industry and you get a totally different perspective. Um, from what you might typically get in rooms like that. So I, I agree with you. It's a really special energy. And it's always, as I say to Javan on our team, it's always good when you have to try and encourage people to leave. And we were really having to, because it's Google and they're strict on timing. <laughs> we were really having to like march people out the building. But there were people in the lobby just hanging around, continuing to talk. And it's always better that way than, you know, you're, you're left with an empty room. So I agree with you. It was fantastic. From Google to the Premier League, Stu, actually, on Tuesday, where we both were for our latest Broadcast Disruptors uh, think tank, where we were talking about gamifying content and sort of a much broader discussion, actually, coming off the back of that. But we had uh, around about 50 uh, senior sports industry executives and you, Stu. Yeah, uh, and me. You were there as well. Um, But again, from my point of view, I thought that was a really fun and and interesting afternoon. It's always fascinating to listen to the the collective wisdom in that room. Yeah, I I, I thought it was a great session at at the Prem on Tuesday. And that 
I mean, you asked us the million dollar question, right? Is, is what's the ultimate gaming experience? And there is no answer. Mm. Um, but it was fascinating just to hear loads of different perspectives on it. Everybody from sort of Roger at, at La Liga, um, Ralph Rivera, obviously former NBA, all having different experiences and thinking about different audiences, crucially. Whereas Roger's very much thinking about, you know, how, how do they gamify what they're doing around the live experience? And then, you know, Ralph talking about his own children and they're not being a great offering for children, which is obviously where, where I kind of come in. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a great room and, a, and, and just a great venue as well. You know, what a, what a headquarters the Premier League's got these days. It's swanky, isn't it? Yeah. It's not been uh, to the new one, is it nice? It's very nice. I had quite an embarrassing moment there, to be honest, where <laughs> I uh, was, you know, the, the sort of coffee bar area. I walked up before the event began and I uh, asked the guy who was manning that for a coffee uh, and he looked up at me and said, I'm the IT guy. That is horrendous. I thought you were going to say he's the chief exec or something. Yeah. No, it's as bad. That is horrendous. And then I said, um, okay, sorry, uh, would you like a coffee? And he just looked up from his iPad again and said, I don't drink coffee. (laughs) And I thought at that point, I'll just, I'll just retreat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's time to give up, time yeah. to give up. Yes, so that was um, the Tuesday afternoon. And then I hot-footed it via uh, three branches of Marks and Spencers, thanks to a, a colleague of mine who'd forgotten his bow tie, uh, to the Natural History Museum for the Leader Sports Awards, which is always a lovely celebration, uh, fabulous evening. And the conclusion to that evening, lots of award winners that you can check out on the website. Conclusion to the evening, Laura, was the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, which we always try to make a special moment. And I am going to say we succeeded. Yes, you know. Well, it's actually to, it's always the one that takes a bit of effort, you know. Like, you've got to think it through. You've got to think how it's going to, how it's going to go and who's a worthy winner and who's the best person to present it. And so we announced uh, Barbara Slater as the um, Lifetime Achievement Award. And was, she was presented her award by Hugo Monnier. Um, and I would say she brought her two daughters and it was genuinely really touching to see how touched she was. And when Ugo was obviously reading out the amazing experiences that Barbara's had at, and you know that, she, yeah, like, at, at the BBC, specifically when the Olympics 2012, we showed some of the Olympics footage, which for everyone in the room, like, you forget that, how special that moment was. And then Ugo was kind of talking through um, Barbara's accolades I guess and I could see her daughter crying and it was just like it was it was amazing to see that you know not many people get to see that of their parents you know the experiences they've had the impact they've had so all in all I was thrilled with how that went I think she was genuinely really touched I think Ugo did a lovely job of presenting Barbara with the award and her family were there to celebrate so it was it was awesome yeah and what a fascinating le- legacy for Barbara you know yeah you, what do you think um, in terms of I mean I, I worked at BBC Sport for six or seven years and obviously London 2012 but just I, I think the way that she helped reinvent BBC Sport and let's face it you've got to have a tough skin to do that job it, yes. it, there isn't bucket loads of cash at the BBC these days for rights um, but I, I think she's done you know she leaves an amazing legacy and, and there will be tough shoes to fill that's for mm. sure From the Natural History Museum, we all hot-footed it to Twickenham to be ready bright and early yesterday morning. Again, seems like a long time ago. Wednesday morning, uh, which is where we've been ever since for the summit. Uh, Two days, three stages. Pretty good lunch, actually. Got to say, we did it again as far as (laughs) lunch is concerned. And genuinely, um, and it sounds like this is something we'd always say, but it isn't. Uh, I think the busiest, officially the busiest mm. Leaders Week, Leaders Summit on record. Uh, it was absolutely heaving in the partner village. Uh, pretty much every session was an absolute sellout, standing room only. Um, it has been 
a busy one, uh, absolutely. And in fact, it's still going on as we talk. The final session's just getting underway. A couple of themes that we're going to talk about as far as the summit, and we'd be really interested to get your thoughts on as you've been moderating and watching sessions and meeting people and just generally sort of taking the temperature in the uh, across the venue. I want to talk a little bit in a minute about some of the non-sport sessions that we did. Also want to talk about the advancement of women's sport and mm-hmm. what that conversation looks like, what that is actually, what the industry is doing and what we're seeing in a demonstrable way in terms of progress there, which hopefully is something we certainly intended to be a mm. through line across the event. And we'll, we'll see how we did on that. I do think one of the, uh, the big talking points coming out of this week, I would describe, the, in fact, in fact, sum up the summit in one word give me one word oh good question saudi saudi okay i was gonna go energetic i thought it was a really good energy yesterday i'm i agree uh, with both of those i'm gonna say focused i think there's i think everybody knows and actually laura i thought you referenced it and i haven't said this to you but i'll say it publicly i thought you did there you go did a a genuinely you absolutely hit the right note um at the start of the week in your intro words at the diversity forum where you were mm. talking about there being a lot of pain in the world mm. and there is a, obviously a big picture going on um and i but i do think what we've seen here is that there's an an acknowledgement and an understanding that mm. big uncontrollable stuff for m- many all of us in the room is happening but there's there is an absolute focus on this industry from the industry in terms mm. of bettering it advancing it growing it with that in mind, I did just want to say a quick note about video sites who are our friends and partners yes, yeah, of yeah. this event who were unable to be here, based in Israel, unable to be here to deliver the, the session we had planned mm. over the last few weeks. Um, and just wanted to say that thoughts with the team mm. there. Uh, I know there were a couple of video sites, people from other, other locations in mm. the world who did make it here, but I think it's probably important to say that. Yeah, I will add to that also in front. Um, they've got a big team in Israel and they, they're here and they were, they were running programming. And I said to them, you know, it, it must be just pretty difficult to focus on the day to day. And there's people working. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. You mentioned Saudi. Yep. And that definitely was a big theme of these couple of days. We had two very high profile Saudi sessions uh, that happened at the start of each day. Yesterday morning, we kicked off the event with His Excellency Bada Al-Qadi, the Vice Minister of Sport in Saudi Arabia. Again, a huge interest in this. And I was, I've been talking to a few people who were in the room and just you know, people who have uh, come to the event as, as delegates just to get a sense of how they felt about it. And a few of the phrases, as expected, a real energy in the room, curious and cautious was what what how one person described it to me a box office session though it's been a long time since even the overflow areas were, yes. were full yeah. uh, for a, a leaders event and really uh, his excellency Bada al-qadi was here to get across three commitments and introduce people introduce the industry to the uh, national sports strategy in saudi arabia talking about access for everyone talking about building a sports economy in a sustainable way opening up to the world as well and with the intention of that leading to policy reform and of course there's a lot of conversation and noise uh, about all of that Uh, we're going to hear a clip from his session now uh, where he set out the big picture of how the saudi national sports strategy actually works 
So the leadership have been very decided in terms of transforming the country in general. And with that said, uh, there is a, a national strategy taking place in each sector in Saudi Arabia. There is a national health strategy, national tourism strategy. And similarly, in the Ministry of Sport, we lead the national sports strategy. Uh, with that strategy, we, we lead, but we don't own it. We are partners in this strategy with many sectors health, education, uh, tourism, the private sector, the giga projects, and everyone contributes into uh, this together. We have set of KPIs. And this, by the way, strategy started in 2017, the work of the strategy. And uh, you know, there is a list of KPIs and performances and, and, and programs that we ensure we deliver. We very much work on this, and then we keep on reviewing and improving as we go. That was His Excellency Bada Al-Qadi, who kicked things off on the headline stage uh, today. Stu, I know you were in the room for, I think, both of the Saudi yeah, sessions, both of the sessions yeah. today. And, I mean, how would you describe it? it there, was def there was definitely a, uh, you know, a feeling of curiosity and, and people in this industry wanting to know a little bit more and, and the, start to get to know the, these groups that we're going to be hearing so much about. Absolutely. There's definitely an air of intrigue and, and also, let's face it, an air of opportunity. You know, there's, mm. lots, of, there's lots of people in the room who want to be on the, on the kingdom bandwagon, as it were, because, um, you know, we, we've all spent far too much time this summer talking about the huge wages of, of some of the players that have gone out there. But one of the things that, I, that really struck me, and I kind of wasn't expecting, to be honest, was, it, if you like, the whole sense and emphasis on, like, betterment for want of a better word, you know, mm. the, the, the participation rates um, in grassroots football, uh, the drive towards sort of women's football as well. I'd, I'd been things that I'd, I kind of hoped that they would be doing, but kind mm. of just didn't have the awareness of that really. And, you know, I think anybody who knows that the, the Saudi League has been around a while, even if it hasn't had these sort of such a big influx of major stars, because to say it's the first influx of major stars, Peter Hutton will probably, you know, jump out the microphone and get me. Um, but yeah, I just think it, it definitely feels like beyond beyond the pound signs, let's face it, that they are driving towards something that will give them a genuine return of investment around the, the, the betterment of, of, of people in the kingdom. So it, it's fascinating to watch how that project will come together, the 2030 project that was kind of referenced a, a, a lot through both sessions. And you mentioned Peter Hutton, uh, the Saudi Pro League board member, and he's also looking after the new or relatively new Saudi Pro League media house uh, as well. And he was on stage this morning on a panel session that uh, focused on the development of Saudi football in particular. And he was talking about the media amplification power of some of the star talent that the Saudi Pro League has brought in over recent months. The social media part of it is huge because you look at the biggest guy on social media in terms of Instagram followers is Ronaldo. You look at Benzema's following. You know, these guys have huge influence. And what we've been able to do because there wasn't a great broadcast legacy is change the rules and say more footage can go to the players. The players can publish the story. Mm. And that means that you change your brand much faster because you're putting out the content in a place where people are naturally going to see it and not just to the football obsessives, but to a wider audience as well. So bringing in those big name players doesn't just bring your quality on the pitch. It also brings your reach off the pitch. And that's been a huge part of trying to develop the story. Peter Hutton, a leader's regular, back on stage this year at Twickenham. Let's talk about a couple of the other big themes this year. And we made a special effort, really, on 
more non-sport outside of sport programming this year, mm. Laura, um, based actually on some feedback that we've been receiving over the last couple of years, I would say, where a lot of people here are really keen as much as they want to know about the nuts and bolts of ticketing and uh, venue operations and sponsorship measurement and all the, all the staples, all the things that we've been discussing on the tech and innovation stage, for example. But there's also a real appetite to hear from fresh faces and new perspectives from different industries. What would you pick out as, uh, as, as something that, uh, that struck you as, as particularly interesting in that sort of non-sport realm? So I, um, I moderated two, two sessions on the creative stage and I spent most, I, I actually didn't set foot, this is the first year ever I didn't set foot in the main stage until today, genuinely didn't, did not see the main stage until um, Thursday, but on the creative stage, two sessions, one with Meta and Alex Scott, um, talking about some of the channels that Meta have in their at what they call their family of apps, um, but some really interesting stuff going on in terms of WhatsApp broadcast channels, thinking about the future of AI and avatars. Sam Kerr's got an avatar you can speak to apparently and, and communicate with. Then later in the day, I moderated a session with Frank Connolly, the CEO of England Netball, talking about the NS Netball Super League 2.0 strategy they've just launched, and Belinda Moore, who's just set up the new company of the Premiership Women's Rugby. And a lot of the conversation was ultimately where are where's the next fan coming from you know ultimately we all know that the next generation are not necessarily going to sit and watch sport in the same way that previous generations didn't you know this better than i do but um actually there's an opportunity there with the intersection between music entertainment gaming with sport to actually reach new audiences and when you think about the growth areas like women's sport and athletes that can reach fans that go beyond a typical what we call I suppose they would be followers that they're then trying to convert into fans which is what Fran said didn't she and there was a whole conversation around that which was super interesting because ultimately the sports industry I think historically could be accused of being quite insular and kind of looking inward and now they're looking outward and saying what are these other industries doing how are they getting to those audiences and let's hear Fran Connolly right now what we've got really good at now as sports, as women's sports, is driving those big visibility moments on the international stage. And our challenge across all of women's sport is converting those followers uh, to fandom, but fandom on a regular week-in, week-out basis. So I, I think what we have to do is understand. We, we have to drive insight and really understand what each of those fans want from their experience. And then we have the opportunity, probably unlike male sport, to really create that from scratch. There's less rest, red tape. I I hate using the phrase experimental, but experimental in a really positive way. We can try things that haven't been done before and test what resonates. And that I think that will be a mixture of sort of fashion, or of music, of top quality female sport. We know women's sport fans want really good sport first and foremost. But we can then transcend sport into more lifestyle, culture, well-being. And, and that wraparound of stuff sits really nicely in, in indoor arenas. You know, we, we've started to trial that. You, some, you, you saw the DJ, you saw some of the, the footage of the, the last Super League final. But we've got to work out what components are feasible to div deliver financially week in, week out and attract those fans to keep coming back on a weekly basis. That was Fran Connolly from England Netball uh, talking uh, about where the next fan comes from. 
Stu, continuing that non-sport theme, you moderated uh, yeah. what, and I will confess, I haven't been able to watch it yet, but I will re-watch it as <laughs> if you attended Leaders and you have access to the Leaders app, you can do for any session in full over the next couple of weeks. Nicely done. And I will, I will do that. Um, Stu, tell me about that uh, session because it was right in your, in your sweet spot. Yeah, so we had a, a sort of a 30-minute group chat, if you will, so to so speak, um, around how do, you pre, you know, how do you engage pre-teens, which is a fascinating area. Um, you know, I've, I've been in it now for about five or six years, having spent a sort of previous career, if you will, in sort of sport and, and being knee-deep in pure sport. Uh, but we, with uh, Will Spears, uh, music specialist and Rosa Teal, who was you know worked on children's titles like Teletubbies and Jojo and Grand Grand, which got a smile and cheer in the room. Um, we, you know, we we had a thirty-minute tiptoe around everything you need to think about around just engaging kids, everything from you know the type of content to what kids actually want to how to speak to them, but also around some of the what I would call the grown-up stuff as well, if you like. So you know the compliance and the safety, yeah. and can they be on social media or not? All of those kind of things that. I, I would say this, but they all point to you needing a specialist in that world. And what would you say is the current understanding or knowledge of that particular demographic in the sports industry? And what what's the sort of one thing you would want them to take from that session? Yeah, I, I think it's limited, to be honest. I, and, and I think there are lots of people now, including like the Premier League and, you know, lots of organisations I work with, like UEFA or British Cycling, are all going what is our plan for youth and we need a plan for youth yeah. um, but they don't necessarily know what it is and I think if it was you know when we kind of wrapped up at the end we did right well well what are the things that people need to think about and it's not only who do you want to target but what do you want them to do when you reach them you know this is not a world anymore of just broadcasting blindly into the dark and hoping that they you know they buy a Man United shirt this is a world of having a participatory maybe gamified approach to um, building a community of the next generation and I think one of the fascinating things about the the non-sport stuff that you guys have put, put on this week is that I think that's exactly how you have to approach targeting kids who frankly make their decisions about their next sport at like seven seven or eight and if you haven't got them at seven or eight by the time they get a mobile phone at nine well they're like sticklebacks in a stream and away they go so I think it's you know Sport needs to think about this in a massively fragmented media world. Otherwise, they'll just end up doing other things. Mm. We also, on the non-sport theme or the sport-non-sport hybrid theme, had a fascinating session uh, featuring Jennifer Hills, who looks after Globe, which is the in-house brand agency for Universal Music Group. And she was in conversation yesterday morning with Russell Jones, who's the general manager of uh, marketing at uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Premier League team. Ace moderator Richard Ayres, in many ways the perfect man for the job, uh, with his background and experience in both sport and music, uh, was steering this question, uh, steering this conversation along. Really interesting story, I think, the Wolves one, which has not really, I think, been fully told. And, and mm. but it's a really innovative approach. They've what they've done is created a record label, Wolves Records, and they're signing artists and they're doing everything a record label does using the Wolves. IP, the Wolves insignia, all part of an overall aim for the uh, the Fosun Group, which owns Wolves, to build out the lifestyle brand of 
Wolves uh, and they've got plans or certainly they do a lot in esports uh, there certainly at one point were significant plans in terms of uh, a clothing range and Russell was on uh, was on really great form sort of uh, talking that through Stu I know you were in this yeah. session we're going to hear from from Jennifer Hills in a moment but how did you feel coming out of that one I, I thought it was fascinating to see a football club taking such um, a front foot approach and I, I think in this world of trying to reach a new audience or trying to grow your audience base it has to be about those like satellite entry points you know it's about lifestyle and music and fashion and it might be the environment and all of those different things that football clubs are, are they are now entertainment brands they are lifestyle brands and so they have to act and behave in in, in the right way if they want to go out and reach new people well we asked we had Richard Ayres ask uh, Jennifer Hills the key question really what does she as a music industry executive think of a football club creating a label and this is what Jennifer Hills had to say I think it's really exciting I think the number of times we're talking to brand partners who want to work in music because they've already got sport ticked off and they sort of see as marketeers they see all these industries as very separate sections but to the fan and to the audience, it's just all one bucket of passion. Mm -hmm. So I think for audiences, it seems totally normal to have a football club that they absolutely love and support to kind of have music as a soundtrack of that, because everything's better with music. And, you know, music and is used as a soundtrack to absolutely every major sporting event. I think, you know, you see in the States, like it's the, you know, a real key moment in the halftime show. And mm -hmm. so I think... It actually doesn't, it just doesn't seem clunky. And, you know, we're not threatened. We're all right. <laughs> We've got our roster. There's plenty of space for everybody. Jennifer Hills from uh, Globe, Universal Music Group. And it was great to have Jennifer with us to provide a real insight from the top of the music industry. We touched on it already, but women's sport and I think uh, the advancement of women's sport was something going into Leaders Week, Laura, through our programming, through everything we've tried to do in terms of a lot of the private gatherings throughout the week. We really wanted that to be front and center and we sort of set ourselves a challenge and I'm not going to ask you whether we you fulfilled, know, it. fulfilled it. Have we, have we met the but challenge? But we set ourselves a challenge to genuinely try and advance the conversation around women's sport to not end up with a number of very positive and well-meaning sessions that simply talked about a great opportunity. We really wanted to go beyond that and right. have that as our starting point. We had lots of sessions through the week. You already touched on the session with Belinda and Fran. Uh, so Belinda Moore from Premiership Women's Rugby and uh, Fran Connolly from England Netball. And well, tell us a little bit more about that session, Laura, in terms of, uh, you know, the sort of mood in the room. Well, it was packed and we had, it was one of the ones where we, not everyone got in. So that's a good sign, right? People are interested. People are wanting to learn more, um, which I think put them on edge slightly, actually. Um, I have to say, I think, it was a step forward. I mean, there's certainly still a huge amount of work to be done. I think the actual kind of commercial strategy and understanding the valuations in women's sport and understanding how to have those case studies around proving ROI within women's sport on sponsorship specifically, that was the kind of major call to action at the end of that session, I would say. Fran Connolly particularly said it would be fantastic if we had a ready-made set of case studies that could show the potential of 
ROI when it comes to investment in women's sport. But they do need some, you know, they were both calling to say, and we need some bold companies that are going to come forward, some bold brands that are going to come forward and come with us on this journey. One of the things that was really interesting was talking about women's sport around almost like an innovation hub and actually thinking of them thinking of it as a startup environment where you can test and learn and not being beholden to the systems and the structures and the you know what's happened in men's sport because they can't do that anymore you know that that that, that's now a huge industry where they've got a long a much farther way to fall I think someone said um so I would say there was a real kind of excitement around the opportunity and I, I'm even loath to use where the opportunity we said we weren't going to use that word but um, I said I think the kind of using it as a testing lab understanding what that journey is going to take and who needs to play what in that journey was a progression on the discussion and now it's about actually how do we realize that and a lot of it I think does come down to hard data and the fact that until very recently there hasn't been a volume of data that allows for good decision making exactly. to take place it was something that Juliet Slot came back to time and again in her session which was a a conversation over half an hour about Arsenal's women's team and its development and she was saying that they are routinely now surveying 2,000 people after every match on every aspect of the really? experience in order to generate the kind of data and understanding about what is a new fan base? And of course, there is overlap in terms of existing Arsenal fans of the men's team now turning their mm. attentions or you know, their allegiance to the, the women's team as well. But there are also fundamental things that they need data about. For example, she called out things like uh, the fact that there's a lot more families who come to when they yeah. play games at the Emirates Stadium, for example. So there's a lot more families. Suddenly, Arsenal need to understand what those families are bringing. Are they bringing buggies, more bags? Okay, that yes, has an impact yeah. on security and turnstiles and all of that information. There aren't enough, in fact, there's way too, I think the way she said it was, there's way too many men's toilets at the Emirates Stadium. Really? Ultimately, it was a stadium designed and built for a men's team. Yeah. And they're having to, they want to gather the data to be able to really truly understand from an experience point of view, what's going to work for this new fan base who have new feelings, thoughts, attitudes, needs? One thing I was actually going to say, this, that talking of data, the, um, some, a piece of data that Wasserman shared, which I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to say, I don't know that this number is 100% correct, but I'm pretty sure it's in the region of correct. Um, about, I think they said something in the region of 77% of purchasing power in a household is sat sits with women so if you think about that as a potential for purchasing power in terms of brands looking to invest in sport and how that is increasing year on year and the opportunity that provides a commercial opportunity in return that provides potential early investors in women's sport that that was a really that that resonated with me because that's real hard numbers in terms of opportunity yeah I think that's the moment in time where people kind of sometimes sit up isn't it and go mm. okay but it's, but how do we make the big money and, and I think thinking about women's football as a brand in and of itself that has just been on this remarkable rise and rise mm. of the past 10 years. And we mentioned Barbara Slater earlier, you know, 2012 when the BBC mm. had the, the GB women's team live on BBC three, which felt like an enormous moment at the wow. time, sellout stadium, you know, huge viewing figures. And ever since then, it, it, it's just been on this huge rise. And I think a fascinating thing for me now is the huge rise in grassroots football. There are thousands upon thousands more girls mm. playing football. 
is what will, you know, if you are 10, 11 and 12 now, well, when you're 20, 25 and 30, what will you expect of the sport that you love? And I think that's the real challenge is how does it massively keep abreast of that? And it was something that Mark Bullingham, the chief executive of the Football Association, who was on stage earlier today on the headline stage, talked about um, obviously women's football in general, but specifically hinting at uh, an evaluation process that the FA has got underway into potential changes to the format of the Women's FA Cup. And here's what Mark Bullingham had to say. So Women's FA Cup, I think we've done a really, really good job of growing the final as an event. I think when I first started working at the FA, it was an event that got less than 20,000 and wasn't even at Wembley. We're now selling out Wembley and that's a big event in, for us in our calendar. So the final's going really well. I think our challenge now is to grow the rest of the competition. And in that, we don't, we don't feel that the women's competitions always have to follow the format of the men's. So we're looking at how could we at least evaluate some potential changes to it that maybe are more, more creative and allow the competition to have its own structure and, and format. So evaluating those at the moment with the view what would appeal to fans more, what would appeal to broadcasters more, and how do we grow it even more quickly. Because like the rest of the women's game, we will grow it. Um, it's just how do we accelerate it even faster. That was Mark Bullingham, the CEO of the Football Association, who was on stage talking about all sorts of topics across uh, English football and beyond uh, today, uh, but they're particularly talking about uh, potential changes to the Women's FA Cup. We also, uh, continuing with the women's sport theme, had Sarai Behrman on stage, and it was actually, uh, thinking it through, a very interesting sort of gathering of people in the speaker room across the the two days and some yeah. high level conversations particularly at the top of football politics essentially uh, we've had Victor Montagliani the president of CONCACAF here obviously hosting and organizing the World Cup uh, the next men's World Cup in 2026 we had James Johnson the CEO of Football Australia uh, Sarai Behrman the chief women's football officer at FIFA was here of course the Saudi delegation as we've talked about and Mark Bullingham as well so it was quite the uh, quite the conversation at lunch in the uh, speaker room today but Sarai Behrman uh, was uh, on stage with us reviewing the success of the World Cup that we've just seen in Australia and New Zealand and more generally continuing to plot out the future of the women's game and she was talking about the necessity of investment. Well, I would say what is very important is to understand that in order for us to grow to the point where they can see a return on their investment, you have to invest now. And a big, big part of my job since I've come into FIFA, it's, I think it's seven years now, has been flipping this narrative about women's football being a cost exercise to actually women's football is an investment that we need to make. And I, I consistently say this to decision makers around the world. You've been investing into your men's game for decades for it to get to this level. So give that same level of investment towards your women's game and you will see it even go beyond where your men's game is. But it, it's about changing that narrative that has historically come with our sport of being just a cost or a CSR or this into actually it's an investment, it makes business sense. And the data from the Women's World Cup, from what we're seeing from the last Euro, from some of the leagues around the world, absolutely speaks to that. Sarai Behrman, who is the Chief Women's Football Officer at FIFA, and she was with us. 
blimey, we've, there's been a lot, hasn't busy there? Busy week. A busy old week. What are you How... up to tomorrow, Dave? <laughs> Quite a lot of flagged emails uh, coming up, because <laughs> it turns out we're doing an, I- an event in India in six weeks. Well, are um, you actually, but... let's let everyone know that you booked us in for something on Monday. You and I are having, having quite a... Oh, busy yes. Busy working we, day on well, Monday. <laughs> we do, actually. We're going to be uh, launching. We're going to be recording something new from us and from our uh, friends at IMG, uh, which should be quite fun indeed. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. I'm going to say no more on that for the moment. But okay. look out for that at some point next week across the leaders' channels. Stu, um, we were talking earlier. We were having a stroll um, mm-hmm. round the venue, and you said something very interesting to me about your personal experience of leaders this year compared yeah. to other years because of course you've changed roles i've changed and you've yeah i've changed have, is it poacher turns gamekeeper <laughs> or gamekeeper turned poacher I, i'm not quite sure no. yet really so after for a number of years at bbc sport and obviously then bbc children's i kind of dropped out of the sports industry for a while um it's been quite quite different refreshing and sometimes quite terrifying to see it on the other so normally you come to these things and everybody's trying to sell to you and they want to be part of what you've yes. got whereas actually this time around i'm i'm basically going around politely making friends and badgering people <laughs> you know to pay my mortgage at some stage and to sort of bring the lucky socks team in to you know help them reach and engage kids and younger audiences but it's I've spoken to quite a few people this week who were talking about the different types of conferences, right? And I can say this because I'm not on your payroll. Um, but you know, <laughs> To clarify, you're not yeah, on the I'm, payroll. To clarify, I'm not on the payroll. But um, the fact that this one is far friendlier and it is still that kind of environment where you can just rock up and go, hello, I'm mm. Stu, and what, what does it say on your name badge? And you just randomly end up having conversations, as I've done this week with people from CONCACAF and you know, various things, of people I, I would never have met ordinarily. Because uh, as we said, strolling in, it's kind of LinkedIn Live, this place. You know? mm. So you might, it doesn't matter how many connections you've got on LinkedIn, here is the place you get to look at actual faces. Mm. So. Laura? Sum it all up for us. <laughs> Sum it all up. Do you know what? I, we didn't. We missed an event. We missed an entire event out of our recap. What did, what did we miss? Quick recap. Um, the Deloitte Lab on Tuesday morning for the Leaders Under 40 class. It was fantastic. I was there and they did a session on business chemistry. And turns out I'm an integrator. And what? I think I know what you are, DC, but what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to out. What, what, <laughs> does an in, what does an integrator mean? <laughs> an integrator apparently, and I'm going to paraphrase, um, focused on people more so than the idea and the so the good thing is that apparently you can you can work with people and you can bring teams together the bad thing is that people sometimes want you to be more decisive and kind of power on you know oh that's not me that's not me i think i'm a people pleaser (laughs) so you might be an integrator too anyway yeah it was great um and a fantastic venue so thank you sum up the week packed jam jam packed um, we've all deserved a break. The leaders team have been fantastic all week. I, that's my genuinely my favourite feedback I get at leaders is people coming in and saying your team. On, and I think they, I think they genuinely mean it. They're so friendly. They set the tone when you walk in that registration tent. They set the tone in terms of being open, being energetic, being friendly. And yeah, we've had a fantastic week. Yes, it has been marvellous. It is genuinely my favourite week of the year, preceded by several weeks of, you know... (laughs) Your your least favourite weeks of the year. Yeah, but we got there. Uh, Stu, really appreciate you doing this at the end of a long week. No worries, thanks for having me. uh, It's been great to see you here. Laura, thank you as always. Uh, Thank thank you. you for listening. Thank you if you've been at Leaders Week, and we will see you next year.